Hello, God bless you, Madison Church. I'm so honored to be with you uh, during this holiday season to celebrate the Advent, the birth, the coming of the Messiah. What a wonderful time of year. Uh, this is the time of year that we often are blessed by music and Christmas carols. Uh, I love various types of music, but there's one type of music that I haven't quite yet grasped. I don't understand it, and I certainly don't have a preference for it, and it's country and Western music. Now, you can agree to disagree with me if you like, but uh, someone once joked and said, what do you get when you cross country and Western music with rap? You get crap. Uh, that's their interpretation of it. But there's another joke uh, about country and rest of music. Uh, it was a terrible day for these two music lovers. They were both kidnapped and held hostage, and they were going to be shot. They were going to be executed. Uh, but one of the guys who was a country western music lover asked for one last request before they took his life. They said, I want to listen to Achy Breaky Heart for 50 times. I love that song. And the other guy who hated country and western music said, please shoot me first. <laughs> In other words, he didn't want to hear it 50 times. Uh, country and western music, it always seems to be sad. It seems to be about a guy losing stuff, losing his wife, losing his house, losing his health, his truck, his dog. And, uh, and so what do you get when you pl play country music backwards? The guy gets his wife back, he gets his dog back, he gets his truck back. So, so much for country and Western music. Uh, but lately, I have been leaning into and really loving jazz. And I'm talking about the old school jazz. I'm talking about the Thelonious Monk and the Dizzy Gillespie and the Miles Davis. Uh, but lately, I've been listening to John Coltrane. He was nicknamed Train. He was a saxophonist and perhaps arguably the best uh, saxophonist uh, that the music world has uh, ever heard. Uh, he, was, uh, he was just a natural child prodigy as a saxophonist. Uh, he began playing professionally as a teenager, and uh, he played with such musical greats like Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and, uh, and Duke Ellington and people of that nature. Uh, but in the 1950s, which was so common uh, during that, uh, that era, and for musicians, Coltrane, like many others, he got addicted to heroin. And uh, he almost overdosed in the 1950s. I think it was 1957. And, uh, and he made a decision that he was going to turn his life around. And he resolved to clean up his act. And he embarked on a spiritual transformation when he encountered God. And one of the things that he did in 1957 also is that he wrote uh, an album called A Love Supreme. And this was an album which was a testimony to the fact that he experienced the grace of God and how God turned his life around and uh, how he had knew, knew he had been blessed with the gift of music and he wanted to use that gift to glorify God. So he called it A Love Supreme. Well, uh, Coltrane uh, was performing this, uh, this album live on stage at a concert. And uh, when he finished playing uh, his saxophone, he knew that he had played it perfectly. He knew that he had played it uh, and it brought a smile to God's face. And when he left the stage, he was heard whispering the words, Nunc Dimittis, which means... Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. 
what he was saying is that he was referencing the prayer of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Let me read in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. Now, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, when now there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25 is so key. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You see, these words of Simeon thousands of years were the same words that captured the heart of John Coltrane. Both men, although years and worlds apart, were feeling a sense of their calling fulfilled. Calling fulfilled. I'm telling you, there is no greater joy than to know that you are in your lane, that you're in the pocket, that you hit the sweet spot, and it brings glory to God. It brings a smile to his face, and it also brings self-satisfaction. Each of us has a calling on our lives. And the word calling is where we get the word vocation. It comes from the Latin word vocare, or to call. Every one of us have been created in the image of God. And Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us not only that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, it's not by works, it's the gift of God. But verse 10 says that we are God's handiwork. That means that we are God's masterpiece, that we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God laid out a call and a plan and a purpose for our lives even before any of us were born. And our work is sacred to God. I'm talking about all types of work, not just what happens inside the church building, not just what happens at the hands of clergies, of pastors and bishops and elders and apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists, but every one of us have been called and your work is sacred. In fact, your work is worship. If you're called to be a teacher or a tailor, a jeweler or a janitor, a mechanic or a musician, your work is sacred to God. Your work brings glory to God. And when you fulfill your work and you fulfill the purpose and plan of God, you have a sense of satisfaction. My late mother, Johnny Harvey, taught me this. She said, son, a job is what you're paid to do, but a calling is what you're made to do. You're paid to do a job, but you're made to fulfill a calling. And our calling is, is beyond our giftedness. None of us stands alone in our sense of giftedness. Our calling comes from our heritage. It comes from our life experiences. It comes from God's guidance. It comes from circumstances. And all of those things together form us and they shape us. So in essence, 
Every one of us has a shape. Years ago, I read a wonderful book called Shape, and it helped me to really understand my calling. The S stands for spiritual gifts. Every one of us have unique spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12 tells us that, that certain attributes of the nature of God have been given to believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the Holy Spirit has given believers spiritual gifts as he desires for us to edify and build up the body of Christ. And then Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that Jesus himself imparted his very nature into the church in terms of the gift of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. They're expressions of God. Every one of us have spiritual gifts. The H in shape stands for heart. Every one of us have unique passions. Your passions, your heart, are determined by the things that make you angry, the things that make you happy, the things that make you sad, and the things that make you cry. Those are indications of your heart. These are things that God have wired you to care about. The A in shape stands for abilities. Every one of us have unique abilities. Some of us have tremendous gifts of cooking, especially at the holidays. God bless you. Thank you, Lord, for those who have the gift and the ability to cook. And those of you who don't, please stay out the kitchen. And then the P stands for personality. When it comes to a shape, there are, there are different personalities. Uh, and lately, I've been hearing a lot about the Enneagram type. There are nine different types of personalities. I don't know. I've never taken the Enneagram. It kind of scares me. It, it kind of reminds me of the Christian horoscope. And, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm still old school, and there's introverts and there are extroverts. But your personality is unique. It's a key to your shape. And then the E stands for experience. None of our experiences are wasted. God uses our experience to shape us. So we all have a unique shape. And I'm not talking about your physical body shape. I'm talking about the things that God have created you to do and only you. And when you do it, it not only brings you self-fulfillment, but it brings glory to God and it brings good to everybody that you encounter. Romans chapter 12 reminds us that our work is not only sacred, but our work is worship. In verse 1 it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in according with the faith that God has distributed to each one of us. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love those scriptures in Romans chapter 12. You know, John Coltrane, when he wrote the, the album, A Love Supreme, in the inner lining notes, he writes this, he says, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening, which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. 
At that time in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and the privilege to make others happy through music. You see, John Coltrane saw his gift of music as a divine gift. And he offered it, like Romans 12 tells us, he offered his ability as a form of worship. God has allowed him to masterfully play a saxophone. What has God anointed and created you to do? Have you ever had a nunc dimittis kind of day? I think God wants all of us to experience that. The key to self-fulfillment, the key to personal satisfaction, is finding your purpose in life by finding God and glorifying Him with your life, with your time, with your talent, and even the material treasure, the financial means that God puts, puts into your hand. Your gifts, all those things, time, talent, and treasure, they're not just for you, but they're to serve others. The purpose of your giftedness is stewardship, not selflessness. Let me say that again. The purpose of your giftedness is stewardship and service, not selfishness. It's stewardship and service. I, I learned this acronym about joy, and this is the season of Advent. And, and at the season of Advent, the birth of Christ, we, we, we love to sing songs about joy, joy to the world, where J-O-Y, the key to having joy in your life is putting Jesus first, that's the J, putting others second, that's the Y, and putting yourself last. Not putting yourself first, but Jesus, others, yourself. Do that and you will have joy. One day Jesus was asked by his disciples, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus made it clear that it's the one who serves. Self-fulfillment comes from a life of service. And I've determined that I'm going to try to live my life to the full, to the glory of God by knowing him and serving others. Now, as I bring this message to somewhat of a close, I, I want to remind you of this. Number one, you were made to flourish. You were made to live the, the, in the fullness of God. You were made to, to be satisfied by knowing God and, and knowing what gifts he's placed on the inside of you. You were made to, to fulfill your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personalities, and your experiences. And it reminds me that there are so many people in the world today, so many people in the greater Madison area, perhaps some of you that are watching this message today, maybe those that you're watching the message with that are not fulfilled. Your life is empty, that you're trying to fill it with all of the other things of the stuff of the world. And you remind me, if that's you, you remind me of the woman that Jesus encountered in John chapter four in the city of Samaria. You see, the Bible tells us of a story of a woman who went to a well at an hour of day, 12 o'clock noon, when nobody would be there because women naturally normally drew water earlier in the day before it got real hot. But this woman had lived such a life of shame and emptiness and disappointment that she didn't want to be associated. She didn't want to encounter anyone. So she was thinking she would be at this well all by herself. But Jesus had a divine appointment and he told his disciples, I must go through Samaria. And after he sent his disciples into the, off into the, go into the city to buy some food, he sat down by the well and he waited and the woman came and Jesus encountered her. And the woman was taken back, first of all, that a male would have a discussion with the female because women were not really considered to be even uh, full citizens 
or worthy of, of a conversation or worthy of the love of God. And secondly, she was taken back because Jesus was a Jew and now he's having a conversation with a Samaritan who were despised by the Jews. They were considered to be dogs. But Jesus had the audacity to ask the woman for a drink of water. Now, of course, the scripture tells us that God became a man, right? That's what Advent is all about. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the one who created uh, sun, moon, stars, and the sea, the one who was the fountain of living water, submitted and subjected himself to become thirsty so that he could give her a water that she would never thirst again. He asked her for a drink, not because he needed anything from her, but he wanted her to know that what she was looking for and trying to fulfill her life with was only found in knowing him. And the conversation got to the point where Jesus says to the woman, before I give you this living water, go and call your husband. And the woman confessed and said, sir, I have no husband. And God, who knows all things, and yet even though he knows everything about you and me, he still loves us and doesn't condemn us and says, you're right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five of them, and you are with the sixth man who's not your husband. And the woman realized that she was not in the presence of just an ordinary man, but this was a man who knew everything about her. In fact, she had six different relationships. And in scripture, when it comes to numerology, six is the number of man. This woman had tried the best that man and that the world could offer, and she was still not satisfied. She had six men in her life, but now she's encountering a seventh man who is the man. Oh, what a man, what a mighty good man. This is the one who will truly satisfy her. And he, he reveals himself as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and she leaves her water pot there, and she runs off into the city, and, and, and she's fulfilled now and tells everybody in the city, come and see a man who told me everything that I know that I've ever done. Surely this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. This woman had, uh, was on a quest for self-fulfillment, but she only was fulfilled when she found it in knowing Jesus. And I want to let you know that everything that you try, everything that you drink, everything that you taste, everything that you experience here on the earth, it's at best, it will temporarily satisfy you. It will temporarily satisfy you. Even the most pleasurable sins will only bring temporary satisfaction. Why? It's because you and I were made for eternity. We were made for heaven. We were made to know God and to make him known, and to glorify him. And it's only in doing that that we would truly be satisfied. Simeon, the old man that we started reading about in Luke chapter 2, had lived a long life of faithful service to God. He was coming to the end of his life, but he was not going to die until he, he had experienced the fulfillment of the promise of God. He lived with an expectation. He lived in hope. And hope is based on the promises of God. Hope is like an anchor for our souls. Hope is like a, an anchor for a ship because life will, will, will bring the winds and the waves of circumstances of death and of divorce and of, of job loss and, and of uh, coronaviruses and all these other types of situations that we all deal with as human beings. But hope is an anchor that will allow the ship to still be steadied in the midst of the storm. 
And he received and he lived upon that promise that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. You know, when I gave my life to Christ at age 19, I began a journey with God, and it's not been a perfect journey, and I'm still on that journey, and, and I'm, I'll never be perfect. There's only one who's perfect. But one of the prayers that I began praying and asking God for, like Simeon, I said, Lord, please don't let any of my siblings die without knowing you. I have three older brothers, and I began praying for them. Lord, don't let them die without knowing you. And I'm so grateful that this day, all three of them are serving the Lord and attending a great church. I've been praying for my son and for my granddaughter, the same prayer. Lord, they must know the Lord. I'm standing on the promise of Acts 16, 31, that if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will I be saved, but my whole household will be saved. That's the kind of hope. That's the kind of anchor that Simeon dropped. And he stood in faith believing God. John Coltrane, like Simeon, were both ready to die <laughs> because they knew God and they lived a life of glorifying God. And this success is not measured by how long you live, but how well you live. St. Francis of Assisi was tending his garden one day and some women came up to him and they asked him the question, what would you do if you knew you only had 10 minutes to live? And St. Francis said, I hope that I could finish this row. <laughs> I hope that I could finish this row if I only have 10 minutes. In other words, there's nothing else that I have to do. I'm ready to die. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to say, knock the menace now, Lord, dismiss? I'm ready to meet you. I, I, I've encountered you in this life that I'm living, and, and I am also glorifying you and and what I do, and I'm ready to die. This past week has been a, a really sobering week for me because there were three people that were close to me that passed away in the very same week. One of them was my neighbor, David, who just moved in two doors from me. David was 35 years old. And I I never really had a long conversation with David, but the longest conversation I had with him was at a neighborhood ice cream social. My wife and I started a neighborhood faith gathering, and we invited our neighbors to come uh, to a, a summer ice cream social. And that's the first time that David and his family and his children, two little girls, came to a neighborhood gathering. And I had a conversation with David. That week, David had a brain aneurysm, and he never recovered. Got the news the same day that one of my friends, who's a missionary to ethnic groups, passed away. Got a, a news again that, a, that another church member had passed away. You know, those things hit me very hard, and it reminded me of my own mortality, that one day I'm going to die. One day you're going to die. And if you've ever been to a cemetery, then you know on the tombstones that you see some things that are very common. You see the name of the deceased person. You see the day of their birth. You see the day of their death, but in the middle, there's a dash. And if you're watching this message online, then you're still living in the dash. You got a day of birth. The day of your death has not been determined yet. Only God knows that. But you are, st you are in the dash right now, my friend. What are you going to do while you're in the dash? I encourage you to get to know God. Have an encounter with him. Get on a journey with him. Discover what your shape is. Discover what it is that God puts you here 
on this earth as a purpose and begin fulfilling that, begin living that out every day of your life. And I want to let you know that that'll bring you satisfaction. That'll bring you fulfillment. That'll give you a sense of purpose and joy like never before. And it'll bring glory to God. It'll bring good into the lives of people. I have been living my life through this this mantra that I want to live full and leave empty. I don't want to live with, I don't want to leave with any sense of regret, any sense of shame, any sense of embarrassment. I want to live my life to the full and then I want to leave empty. I don't want to have anything in me that I was supposed to deposit and leave behind as a legacy for somebody else. Jesus came to the end of his life with that same type of sense of fulfillment. In John chapter 17, he prayed and said, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. What was he saying? Nunc diminis. Now, Lord, depart. I want to encourage you to keep on leaning on him. I want to encourage you to be ready to meet him at any moment. Live every day of your life as if it's your last, because one day you're going to be right. It will be your last. And remember that this life is just a dress rehearsal. We have a little bit of time here on the earth, but we are made for eternity. My prayer for you is from the book of Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and without great and with great joy to the only God, our savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Christ Jesus, our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.